0: Years and years ago, I introduced something that's still very profound today. It's that there's only three major ways to grow any business. You increase the number of of buyers, and maybe before that, the number of prospects that are quality that you can convert to buyers. You increase. There's
1: a lot of people listening in here today that are looking for strategies to take their business from where it's at, say, you know, 3 to $5 million in in 10X their business. Are there some, some kind of like key strategies on the marketing side that you look at when you're first evaluating a business and how to kind of unlock that level of growth? We
0: actually have a 200 question assessment that we use and it asks, it's, most of my focus, Matt, is on the revenue side. We have a proprietary methodology called revenue system optimization that looks at every factor that exists in a business that's designed to drive revenue and repeat revenue, and more importantly, bring that revenue to the bottom line. And so we look at all kinds of of correlations, implications, anomalies, quantifications, meaning we look at how one thing relates to another. When you do this, this happens. We look at what the economic impact of actions are when you invest, we never look at spending. We think spending is the wrong word. We look at everybody as an investor. They're making investments, time, effort, uh, opportunity, cost, people, uh, capital, human capital, relational capital. What kind of yield are you getting now, and can you get a residual yield later? We ask a lot of questions like that, and I'll be very happy if you'd like to give you the questionnaire, you can freely share it. Most people, frankly, can't answer it, but it shows them immediately gaps that they are failing to really uh, uh, zoom in on. But we first of all look at what they're doing, what they're not doing, how it's doing, why they're doing it, where they're doing it. And then we start systematically. We have a very simple process. We divide what we do with a client, and we tell clients not, I mean, it's not me telling you about me doing it. We just tell you how I look at it. You can do it yourself. We break it into two parts we call it um, we call it um, we call it (laughs) maximizing and multiplying and you can think of it in a different way there's two diametrically opposite but equally as important drivers to business growth one is optimization getting the highest and best use out of everything you do every way you do it everyone you do it with and everything you invest in doing it capital time people the other is coming up with all new ways to do it that makes what you're doing obsolete most people never think about it but they're polar opposites one is to make the most out of what you're doing the other is to make it obsolete but you have to be able to do both in a concurrent we try to first of all optimize the reason we optimize is most people don't know matt but in their revenue system doesn't matter large or small there could be 10 to 25 levers that they're not pulling. And uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I learned years ago to work on what's called the geometry of a business. What that means is whatever you are doing, however you are doing it, you're probably underperforming. If you can make what you're doing 10% better here and 5% better here and 10% better here, etc., all the way through, it's not 10%. It becomes... but if you're breaking even or making a little profit all that additional increase goes to the bottom line it's actually much easier and this is a a big uh a big uh issue for me everyone teaches the 10x and I'm not knocking it you might teach it the moonshot and there's nothing wrong with it except in order to do it it requires a lot of experts you don't uh you don't know they have to work together it's usually technologically driven you got to find all the systems apis uh it takes a lot longer costs a lot more it's like building a custom house if you um, need to fund it you either take it out of cash flow so you can't afford to do as much pay yourself as much uh grow as much while you're doing it or you take it out of borrowings which is very dangerous or worse you dilute yourself by taking in investors We have found that while we believe that's a very, very important long-term goal, a more powerful, profitable, safer, faster, short-term goal is why don't you look for maybe not a 10x moonshot bottom line, but look to double or redouble or even double again your bottom line because it's easier, safer, faster, uh, no investment or risk and it can be achieved very quickly and very significantly. So I don't know if that answer is too protracted for you.
1: Yeah. So when you think about then a geometry of a business, right? What do you find is like one of the most common kind of bottlenecks or areas that you can really unlock?
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, years and years ago, I introduced something that's still very profound today. It's that there's only three major ways to grow any business. You increase the number of of buyers, and maybe before that, the number of prospects that are quality that you can convert to buyers, you increase the size ethically of, it's got to always be ethical, of the sale, and thus the profit each sale yields you, and you increase the frequency or the utility of purchase, meaning you get people to buy more often, or you find more ways to monetize them than you have now. We have a, uh, I don't have it here, but I can give you that as well. We have a graphic that shows a hypothetical. See if I can explain this simply. The hypothetical is we take a theoretical company that has a thousand current buyers. The buyers are spending $100 every time they do business and they're buying on average two times a year. So we do the math, a thousand people buying $100 twice is $200,000. And by the way, most small, medium companies don't even have a handle on those kind of metrics. And they they will just average it out and they don't even understand that different categories of buyers, different sourced buyers, different buyers that came for a different ad will buy differently. But nevertheless, they yeah, let's just take our hypothetical. 1,000 buyers, $100 each time they buy, two purchases a year. If you increase each of those Categories by a mere ten percent. A thousand becomes a, a thousand one hundred. Hundred dollars becomes a hundred and ten. And two times a year becomes two point two. the The assumption is it's a ten percent increase, but if you do the math, it's thirty three and a third. If you double those numbers, it is eight hundred percent increase, but not eight hundred percent increased your profit probably you know 2000%. So I've always learned to first of all get people to figure out more profitable and effective ways to generate the front end. But the front end is the biggest expense once you bring them in if they trust you and and there are 13 ways to create trust that is unimaginably superior to that that you have now and it's not my work it's Stephen M.R. Covey's but I've helped all these people so I understand it back at the ranch if you if you find more ways or better ways or more profitable ways or more qualitative ways to bring prospects and or clients and we call them clients and then you find much more powerful but ethical ways to get them to purchase larger amounts and larger amounts can be packages they can be more premium they can be larger quantities there's all kinds of we have in each category 30 or so Ways to do it, and then you get them to come back more often. That alone, if you can just work on that, it is profound. That is one set of levers. We have three advanced ways to grow businesses, but we don't suggest you do it till you do that. The first advanced way, Matt, is you penetrate at least one market or niche differently, a new one every year. The second is you introduce at least one new product or service every year why is that important because a lot of people don't understand if this is your uh, revenue system and this is the first mile and this is the last currently if you introduce a new product or service you can add it if it's less uh threatening or expensive you can add it to the beginning to get a lot more people to start a relationship because the sooner they start a relationship, the sooner they buy the second, third, fourth time. It can be a product that you add to the point of sale automatically as a package that makes it a larger, more profitable one. It can be an expensive product or service, like we were talking, you have a certain base and then you've got a smaller number of people that buy your mastermind. It can be an expensive that extends dramatically, uh, if you can see my hands, the uh, the lifetime value and why is that important because if you double your lifetime value now you have two or three times as much you can justify investing to bring somebody in the front door which gives you enormous competitive advantage to your generic competitors that don't think this way now that's another way i I might go on and on because i've spent my whole life thinking about how to work on the geometry of the business and i've got some other simple things i can share.
1: But why don't you ask me questions? And I hope I'm answering in a way that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so as a business, maybe is trying to work on one of those pillars, right, and go and move from a one off purchase, right, to then adding on multiple purchases a year, right, getting to two, three, how do you kind of go and like approach that problem?
0: Well, there's many ways. Yeah, It's easy. You ask what do people buy before during after what would make the, the 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 offer more valuable more exciting more more usable more enriching more entertaining depending on what it is then you say okay if i create it myself how am i going to do it what's it going to cost how am i going to who's going to you know who am i going to turn to and if you have no answers you ask a different question who's already got one that i can partner with or i can license or i can private label and then you you find them and if there's uh, a good discussion we've done Uh, We've done billions of dollars of joint ventures, strategic alliances, all kinds of things like that, both ways. We've taken our client's product service to other people. We've taken other people's products and services to ours. You figure out who they are, then you make a conditional deal with them that is an option subject to a test to prove or disprove your hypothesis. And that's how you do it. It's very easy, actually.
1: So as we go, like, and kind of move on from there, right? Like there's a lot of founders that are looking to become category champions in their given area, right? They want to own and dominate a niche, invent a category and own it. And I know you're someone that's really become a master on the positioning side of things and understand the importance of properly positioning yourself in a market. You know, for those founders that maybe find themselves building a business and they think they got it right, but they're kind of just spinning their tires because their positioning is not right. How do you go about kind of figuring that out in a given market and getting the positioning piece of uh, the equation.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. I'm gonna answer a little bit differently. I'm gonna to get to that, but I'm gonna give you, uh, it's gonna be a dyad, like a sandwich, or like a peanut butter cup, maybe chocolate and peanut Beautiful, butter. Beautiful, love it. So, so the first thing we do, because I've studied levers, I've studied, and you think about our life for a minute, it's very important to analogize it. In our lives, in our personal lives, we've never recognized it, Matt, but our lives are enhanced, and, and enormously um, benefited by levers all kinds of levers a screwdriver is a lever a light switch is a lever the button that opens your car is a lever a wheelbarrow is a lever a crowbar is a lever a um, pop-top can on coke or beer is a lever uh, a broom is a lever i can go on and on but the fact that levers enhance our life, people don't realize there's an equal number of levers available in your business and each one can make a profound difference. So we've got a couple of really simple concepts that are very important before you try to just get your brand. I looked at in the revenue and and, and competitive advantage side of a business, what are the easiest, fastest, small shifts that will make the biggest difference? I'm gonna get into a different element in a minute, but then we found nine. Let's see if I can remember most of them. Uh, You change your strategy, you change your results. You change your marketing, you change your results. You change your business model, you change your results. You change how you use capital, both real money, and intellectual, relational, you change your results. You change the products, services you offer, you change your results. You change the processes, systems, and procedures you use, you change your results. You change your belief system, you change your results. There's one or two more. So, those things, each one, any one singularly will make a profound difference. You combine a bunch, and that's separately another level of geometry working on per- enhancing performance. So, now you get into the more intangible of positioning advantage you may know this you may not i think you do about 20 years ago i introduced a it, it, it is considered either a strategic philosophy or a philosophical strategy however you interpret it that has has changed the lives and the careers and the businesses of more people than i can count on four or five continents it's called the strategy of preeminence i i my office is right on the runway of a major private airport and there's jets going all the time. So I apologize if you hear that it's It's re it's redefined the, the futures of companies and careers of people. And it's somewhat simple. It takes about three hours to explain in its entirety. And I can give you a summary of that to put up to, if you like, but here's the essence. First thing is you want your business, your product, your service, your people to be seen by the target audience you're after as the ultimate uh, provider, the only viable choice they could they could choose the most trusted advisor they could turn to for life second is you build a relationship with your market based on a, a, a dual integrated uh, set of drivers one is leadership you always take the role of a leader a leader in giving them perspective advice direction and not admonishment but but uh uh Uh, protection The, the next is that you always tell them what's in their best interest not yours and they see that you have their best interest all at heart but you also have enormous empathy you cannot have empathy unless you allow yourself and your people to take the time to examine evaluate observe appreciate respect acknowledge what it is like to be in their lives we sell to people all the time superficially we'll get a copywriter who will write superficially uh, a copy that is replete with hyperbole and bunch of bullets but he she we don't always know what it's like to be in their lives what their hopes their dreams why they're driven here what it's like you know Uh, That's going on at home or at their office, and the more you appreciate and you show empathy and you show, I feel what your life is like, I know what you are going through, I want to help you. The next driver of this kind of brand superiority is a, a constant sense of hopefulness for your your prospective client. You know how much more. Powerful of a benefit your product or service will have when it is actively deployed in their life or in their business. Now this is very important. You need to think in terms not of the moment, but of what it's like when they have it. Now, even if you're nothing more than an ice cream vendor mat in the park, but you know first of all that for ten or fifteen minutes, if you're by an office, that. A bunch of stressed-out adults get a 15-minute reprieve from the insanity of their day and they get a chance to go back you know to a point when they were a child and were innocent and happy and it's a relief for them your job is to make that that experience and that uh, benefit uh, you know inordinately possible you don't go cheap on your ice cream you make it so delicious that not only does it reinforce it but they can't wait to come back you you know you smile you have certain mannerisms you acknowledge them you 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 connect with them you give them comfort and say hey sit in this thing stay around we love having you you know you 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 when they're sitting they watch you have fun engagement with either kids or other adults it's experiential understanding the next thing besides hopefulness is being able to put into words what no one else has that articulates resonates and immediately penetrates through the resistance right to the subconscious and it says to that person this company or this person knows exactly what I want and what I don't want and and they understand me the next I'm just giving you the simple parts of it it's a little much more complex the next is that people think that they're always Uh, either being taken advantage of, not being told the truth, or everyone's trying to use them, if you show them that there is another perspective and you reinforce that inherent belief and you can prove it and show authenticity, it's great. Now, I talked about trust. Uh, One of the the brightest men I know, Stephen M. R. Covey, the son of Stephen Covey, and if a lot of young people watching, they wouldn't know who he was, but he wrote a book that became... I must, it wasn't as good a seller as the Bible, but I think it sold 100 million copies it's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Very profound book, worth reading even if, if you're younger. But his son, who's a little younger than I am, is the world authority on trust building. He has studied how you establish trust. Trust as a leader, trust with your market, trust with your ads. And he has identified and researched that if you, if you understand and command these 13 characteristics that he has identified and he has studied, you can get up to 300% more impact, more uh, more outcome, faster uh, closes, more closes, longer repurchases. So you integrate that back to being preeminent. I can go with the lots of other soft skills that support it. I mean, there's research, a man named Roger Love is the world authority on what's called strategic communication. You will, um, and I'm, when I go in the zone, I'm sorry if I'm not having as good eye contact, I'm accessing my brain. But Roger Love has studied that if you express yourself with more authority, certainty, empathy, inflection you can have an impact again two three hundred percent more there's another woman who has studied how you are seen how much more fascinating or authoritative and she's done similar that each one of these is separate 100 200 percent so back to preeminence so now to be preeminent you have a couple of different things most people in business think what do i have to say manipulative to get a sale the truth is how much value do you have to convey to the other that they valued and they they believe and they desire to the point where they can't, you know, they're they're they have to submit to you. The next is very important. Most people who want to be an entrepreneur and want a 10x or whatever, their goal is to do it for the the either superficial or economic achievement. They're doing a million dollars and they want to do 10, or they're doing 500,000 and they want to do 5 million. And why do they want to do it? First is they want to make, you know, whatever, five, 10 times what they're making. And they fall in love with either the ability to make money or their business or their industry, which is okay, but it is suboptimal. If you want to be preeminent, the first and foremost thing you do is you fall in love with your clients. You appreciate the impact the value your company your product your service makes in their life and you understand not just that you're selling a product but you see that product or service when it is purchased and used how much it 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 impacts let me give you an example it's a little bit protracted but it'll make my point many years ago i had a client in mexico that was mexico's largest first time home builder uh, the Mexican government had programs where, if you work for a legitimate company, they would pay your down payment and adjust your payments uh, to your incomes. It was wonderful for people who normally couldn't afford one. And, and they, they were doing billions of dollars, and they were traded publicly on the New York and the Mexican Stock Exchange. And the first time I went there to ascertain whether I thought I could help them, uh, I interviewed the salespeople and I said, What do you do? And they said, We sell houses. But upon understanding what the houses could do for somebody, I realized that most of these people would never be able to afford a house so they would have to live either with the parents and if they had wives and kids, the parents would you know the older parents would micromanage'd it be very stressful would be very the intimacy would not be available all kinds of horrible things would happen that constrained not only the marriage but the you know the developmental um, um, success of the child or they would live in a very terrible apartment in a very bad part of town where there was very not conducive to the wife being very happy and having good relations with other women or the kid being involved in a nice environment when they got a house in a really beautiful new environment they had pride the wives met really quality people the husband would leave in the morning and feel really good about what he had achieved so he had a higher probability of getting a promotion and growing The child would associate with other quality kids, so it was a much healthier environment emotionally and also value-wise. They'd be in a new school system where the young teachers were more motivated. They weren't jaded or ambivalent. They wanted to teach. They wanted to help people learn. Uh, Also, uh, when when they got this house that was so conveniently and, and affordably priced, they would end up at 20 years having an asset that was paid for, that reduced their costs. So at retirement, they would have much quality retirement if they couldn't afford it, somebody else could rent it and buy them the asset. If they inherited their parents' house, they could then use it and sell it to put their kids through a wonderful college. Make a long story short, I said to the salespeople, you're not really selling houses, you're transforming the lives of three, four, five people each time and the lives they'll transform. And I showed them why and I showed them how and I transformed how they interacted, not just externally, but how they reflected internally. And every morning I had the salespeople start their sales meetings saying, "Okay, how many lives are we going to transform today? I got on a tangent, but I hope it made its point. Uh, In addition to that, so back to what, what we can say to get the sale. It's not. It's how much value you create. The next thing is uh that you have a moral obligation i don't have it let you know, can do this okay this this is not a half filled glass of water you have a moral obligation Say right then i'll give you the example you have a moral obligation a responsibility to make sure that you do not allow somebody to buy less than they should or more than they should in less quantity quality consistency than they should for them to get a great outcome, not for you to make a lot of money, but for them to make a, a great, get a better outcome, you will be rewarded with a lot of money, but that's your subordinate privilege benefit. It's not your drive. So the example I use is if I had a a bottled water uh, shop and a water bar and you, Matt, came in and you wanted to buy half a glass of water from me and I knew you needed eight glasses a day, so you needed seven and a half more For your brain function to work, for you to be less stressful, for you to be more intellectually capable, focused, for your cellular structure to work, for your, you know, your whole digestive system to work. And I didn't go out of my way to make sure you knew you needed seven and a half more and whether you got them from me, you got them somewhere. And then with that knowledge, you decided you still wanted the half glass. It's fine. But I could... I can't take your money without making sure you knew what you need concurrently or conversely. If you come every other day and get eight, but I don't tell you that you need it every day, I'm letting you down. So that's the next thing you do. When I said you fall in love with your clients, I forgot something else. I haven't done this for a long time. You have three categories of clients. One is certainly the people that pay you. But the other two are the people you pay. Most small, medium entrepreneurs are self-consumed. It's all about them. They don't really realize that everybody that works for them, whether they are employees, W2, contract, you know, part-time, offshore, they are men and women, husbands and wives, fathers, mothers, uh, 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 sons, daughters, and they have hopes, dreams, fears, They're no different than the entrepreneur we're talking to. And if you appreciate them and you go out of your way to grow and develop them, to help them grow and develop, and they see that you are doing that, it produces a far greater outcome. And the biggest overlooked lever you have is in human capital. Most people only perform at about 20% of their capability. It's not because they're lazy. It's not because they mean to be ambivalent. I have another philosophy. I think every person, Matt, is innately programmed in their DNA to wanna be great. Unless you have a mental affliction or some other handicap, nobody wants to be a, a mediocre entrepreneur. Nobody wants to come to work as a salesman or woman and go, hey, self, I'm gonna underperform. I'm gonna sell so much less than I should and make so much less money and be so much more mediocre. Nobody wants to be a mediocre employee, but most people are. Nobody wants to be a mediocre friend, a husband, wife, lover, sexual partner, but most people are. And the question is why, and I'll give you this as a little tangential, but they don't know what greatness is supposed to look like in any of those categories. We have a lot of work on that. They don't know how to, if they figure out what it's supposed to look like, they don't know how to get there. If they figure out how to get there the first time they try to do it, They do it terrible, just like a baby, walking, talking, trying to poop or eat, and they get scared and go back to status quo. back at being preeminent, there are a couple other very important points. The most overlooked that I've made is you have to be on a crusade or a mission in behalf of your market, and every one of your team members has to be a part of it. Uh, There's a quote by Sun Tzu, the famous... um, um, Asian uh, advisor to generals and all kinds of war uh, uh, strategists and he said, I- I'm not going to say it right, but the person who wins is the one whose army is all uh, infused with the same spirit. Uh, I can go on and on, but that's pretty a pretty extensive short answer.
1: There we go. We got the breakdown there. Well, the kind of double click on some of that. So um, you know, we talked a lot about leverage, um, and building trust. I think, uh, you know, as I work with, you know, hundreds of founders through founder OS, uh, a common thing that comes up when, when we're kind of like chatting with founders is that many of them are kind of running a business, um, that's running themselves into the ground. Um, they find themselves like working too much in the business, uh, versus on it. Um, and, you know, a big reason why a lot of us are starting businesses beyond, you know, the impact and beyond, you know, financial goals, lifestyle goals, whatever it may be, is you wanna be able to buy back your time and be able to spend it with family, friends, travel, like the other important things in life. I'm curious, like when you're kind of like going in and evaluating like a business and helping a founder, how do you kind of help them make that switch from someone that's lost in the minutia of the business and help them kind of get out of that to working on the business?
0: Great, great, great. Okay, so a couple of things. And I'll give you, and some of this is, is the benefit. I've helped 300, pardon me, Matt. I've helped 300 A-level a experts in my life. None came to me for help with their expertise. They came for help to command uh, more market appreciation to demonstrate and correlate and compare the economic benefit that they brought them or the life benefit. But I had to get a short course education on all of them, so I have a lot of knowledge to distill. But Most of this I'm going to pre-acknowledge emanated from other people. They're not original ideas, but the thesis that I put it together, the hybrid uh, and the synthesis is original. So the first one is you should only be, I've got uh, many philosophies. One is you either are working in the incremental zone or the exponential zone. Why would you want to do anything incremental when the same effort or last time or last Uh, opportunity or less you know all this investment less could be up here so you got to look at the things you are doing that make no economic sense Uh, somebody that came to one of our seminars was an effectiveness coach in Silicon Valley and I asked him give me one concept that singularly will transform any entrepreneur almost overnight he said okay tell me or look at the three most important things you do for your business, even if you're a one person business, and then break it into as many sub processes as you can. And then look at each of those processes in terms of relevancy, competency, passion. He said, many people are very good at doing things that they aren't relevant to them. They can get somebody else to do it for, you know, for $15 an hour. And then he said, you gotta know what your time is worth first, what you want it to be worth. And that's a integrative story. He said, next, Look at your competency. You may you may be killing yourself to do something mediocre in that incremental zone where somebody else who's great at it could do it five times better and free you up to do what you are great at your superpower. The third is passion. If you're just passionate about something, you're gonna and you're gonna burn so much more energy doing it. So that's one thing. The next is There's a guy named Nick Sonnenberg. He wrote a book called Come Up For Air. Very interesting, he's got a company that's also called Leverage and it's all about operational uh, efficiency. He can save anybody five or, uh, or 10 hours a week in each of their employees to be repurposed for something else. The third is there's a man named Dr. Alan Bernard. He's the world expert on theory of constraints. He believes, and I believe as well, that if you look at a business, If you think about it like a log jam, anybody that knows what a log jam is, they cut down these trees, they drop them into a river, the river goes downhill, and and as drop-offs, waterfalls, and oftentimes too many logs will get stuck and they won't go, and the lumberjacks have to look and say, what one log can I remove that'll make everything else flow? And he looks at not the hundred things you're doing, but what are the four most important? There's a guy named Perry Marshall who teaches the 80-20 rule, and he's got three quadrants. And one, he talks about the fact that most people operate what he calls the barnacle zone, which is they're doing very efficient. They waste almost all their time. They don't realize that they're looking at their phone, looking at their emails. If you do a chronology of what you do every day and where you spend your time, you'll be shocked at how much of that time you think is really, really uh, uh, consuming you and how much you are dissipating wasting or underutilizing and suboptimizing. i did a really i do all these different groups i think i told you some of them and two weeks ago we did our dental mastermind and they're high performing dentists who do implant surgery and at the end i asked around the room tell me the one thing that's holding you back from explosive growth from breaking through the glass ceiling it's very interesting so the first person swear to god said Well, I know if I had an executive assistant that supported me, I would accomplish double what I'm doing. I could make a lot more money. And I said, okay, well, that's a good realization. What's keeping you from doing that? Well, I don't know how to hire him or her, and I don't know how to manage him. I said, okay. Then I stopped, and I looked at all 30 or 40 people in the room, and I said, do any of you have a phone or a laptop or an iPad with you? Of course, they all did. I said, okay, let's get on and let's go to YouTube and let's program, let's put in how to hire an assistant and let's see if anything comes up. And of course, you know, about 200 things came up. Then I said, oh, no, now let's do how to manage an assistant. And of course, 200 things came up. And I said, how badly do you really want this? Not very much. So, you know, it's, it's you know, they say, uh, you know, you speak with forked tongue. I believe most people... Uh, well there's another thing most entrepreneurs in the, in the world you're talking to there's research that says 95% never reach their goals and the reason Matt is they don't really have finite goals that are reverse engineered and are hedged. They don't have ways to get there and, and alternatives if they don't. They just have macro hopes and dreams with no real concrete way of doing it. They don't manage monitor where they are. they don't have stratagems. I had a client, very fascinating, about 15 years ago, they sold their business for $650 million, and they were three times bigger than their closest the closest uh, competitor, and they were four or five times more profitable. Very unique company. And it was it was managed by a guy who left, McK- not McKinsey, but he left the Bain, Bain uh, Consulting, and he ran it. And I spent a week interviewing everyone to try to understand what their methodology was and they were the ones that I got the influence for Preeminence. But they also had another one. They were in the publishing business. They had 40 different subscription-based publications. And every uh, every December, they would stop for 15 days, and they would look at every publication, and they would formulate what needed to happen next year for that publication to grow a certain amount in the top line, but a much bigger on the bottom. And they would formulate what had to happen by publication, by new subscriber, by upgrade, by renewal, by other profit contributions. They would have hedges if that didn't happen. They'd have alternatives if it overachieved. And they always equaled or exceeded their goal. But they they had interventional, most small entrepreneurs don't even think that way. They also don't understand uh, how to use the 80-20 rule, 20% of their 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 clients are worth probably 80 percent of their profit and yet they treat them all the same they don't even know who they are they don't understand any of that i'm just giving you a few ways matt i hope this makes sense
1: yeah i mean i think then you know that logjam analogy is a great one right like being able to focus on your business and go okay well where's the biggest bottleneck here as if this is an assembly line and going oh, yeah.
0: in- let me tell you one more thing you should never do anything right? so one more thing brian tracy famous Famous, uh, he's he's an expert on lots of stuff. I had him speak one time at a $30,000 strategy program we did. And he asked people, how much money do you want to make? And he said, how much do you make? And he said, let's look at the differential. How much are you getting paid an hour for what you're making now versus how much you need to get paid for what you want to make? And then he said, okay, let's get that number. I mean, I don't care if you're working 40 hours, 50 weeks or whatever you're working 80 hours just figure out what you're being paid per hour and then let me ask you this when you have the the gap so do you want to work twice as many hours you know do you want to work three times can you i mean you to not ever sleep okay if you're not going to do that what has to change on how you use your time what you do with it what you do with your business how are you going to go from that and if they don't know how are they going to get there you know, I mean so I'm giving I, I've been inv- influenced by very brilliant people, and so I look at a business in a no nonsense. I've never seen small, medium, large business, whether it's high tech, low tech, no tech, retail, wholesale, online, offline, professional uh it, that couldn't be made very much larger on the top line, but infinitely larger on the bottom just by doing nothing. Not spending any more time, not spending any more effort, no more people, no more money, but doing things differently.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, oftentimes it's just that shift in perspective um, and some of these mental models that can really move you from, yeah, that incremental mindset to the exponential one that you talked about.
0: Yeah, I just got off the phone right before we got on. That's why I was a little late with the person that has uh, the largest, it's like TED talks uh, in in, um, Europe, they do it in Copenhagen and they have three or 4,000 people that come and and they have all these people. And I'm speaking there, including speaking with the guy that started Ted talks, Chris Anderson. And we were talking about what I'm going to talk about. And I said, the biggest thing I think I can talk about is a title on thinking differently, because if you think differently, if you act differently, if you transact differently, you're going to get different results pure and simple. If you don't, you don't.
1: And so when some people out there, right, like they probably have this just like your business can get log jammed, right? You get that mindset that's log jammed. you're stuck, you've hit a ceiling, you're, you're, you know, you, you're not able to kind of evolve to that next level. In terms of like, what are some of like the kind of common, like mental models that you look at to kind of like break through?
0: Well, we, we, we have a, a lot of different methodologies. One of it is the unlimited business checkbook. And I'll tell you a couple stories is We say whatever resources you think you're impaired, whatever you don't have, you can't afford, you can't get, you don't know. Somebody else has it and and your problem is always gonna be the solution to somebody else's. You just have to figure out what it is, who it is, where it is, and make them aware of it. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, Many years ago, I used to do seminars all over the world and I was in China doing a very expensive one for about 800 people. And I always did Q&A at the end, even though they were through translation and arduous. And a young man came to the mic and said, what do you do if the bank won't lend you money to grow? And I said, "Okay, tell me more. And he said, I'm a small local motorcycle manufacturer. Now, Matt, only in China, where a city is 100 million people, could you be a small local motorcycle manufacturer? But this young man said, if I could get money, I would go uh, all over Asia, I'd find a city, uh, and I'd build a huge factory, then I'd go all over all the countries, put in offices, hire salespeople, recruit dealers, and make and sell my motorcycles. And I said, okay, what's the problem? And he was very frustrated. He said, I told you, I can't get the money. I said, you don't need money. All you have to do is figure out how your problem solves someone's bigger one. And then I said, why don't you go on a, a field trip, go all over Asia, you know, try to find somebody in a non-competitive, but very complementary field that has a huge factory that already has offices, salespeople, distribution and make a deal with them. And that took me about, you know, he was a little bit more embellished. And that was it. 15 months later, I came back to do another seminar and that young man came back. And now it's question and answer. And he's smiling like the Cheshire cat. And he says, I did what you said, Jay. And Matt, most of my day job is answering very complex questions, solving problems, engineering, engineering of minings, of opportunities, all kinds of stuff like that. And and I couldn't remember what I said. He told me, I said, what'd you do? He said, I went all over Asia. When I got to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, I found Asia's largest lawnmower manufacturer. They had a huge factory. They had an underperforming uh, underutilized second shift we made it they also they had offices in 10 countries salesforce and thousands of dealers we made a deal where i brought the tools and dyes if you don't know what that is those are metal that form parts and assemblies to put together products i had to teach the people how to manufacture them i had to teach the sales people how to sell it and then when they got dealers i had to teach the dealers how to sell it how to how to display it and he said in our first full 15 months together we both made 20 million dollars i have many i have thousands of you know for example let's say you you would love to have a consultant any kind technology digital uh supply chain uh anything a coach but you can't afford it you have no money then you say i can't afford it but if you can show that person most not not me i mean i have no time in the day but most most average and i'm not demeaning it most average experts or coaches have gaps where they're not being used they're not they're not filling out a percent if you can find a way to demonstrate to them that you can measure the impact their their advice or their expertise makes in your business either savings or or a profit you can come to them and say i will give you blank percentage of the profit Ongoing, or up to a certain amount, in exchange for you doing this, or if their normal fee is five thousand and you can't you can't afford it, you can say if you'll do this for me, I will give you fifteen thousand based on fifty percent of the extra profit or the savings. There's always a way to do it. I have a I have a hundred ways to do it, but there's one way, Matt. I mean, that's one thing that's a problem that I try to overcome. The other is a belief that things like this are possible you know I mean most people don't understand why is it nobody's got more than 24 hours no one's got more than you know I mean maybe a little bit bigger IQ and and most small businesses don't start with much more capital but why somebody make 100 times more than you do in your industry why is somebody uh, why is there a Warren Buffett or uh, or a Jeff Bezos or the late Steve jobs and and they could build something enormous and you can't get past a million or two I mean we have a a philosophy that's really profound it's called do something different make something happen and I make people for 13 weeks every week do one thing differently to break through the morass of their limited beliefs Uh, first thing I would make them do every human being yourself me we have some kind of a regimen when we wake up, assuming we wake up in the morning and not work the night shift. Uh, if we wake up, we normally go to the bathroom, and then we do something. We take a shower, or we go work, make coffee, tea, smoothie, we read the paper, or we get online, then maybe we get dressed. And then if we don't work from home, we get in our car, or the train, or the bus, we go to work. If we get in our car, we go down the main uh, a thoroughfare, I would tell people, okay, you got to go to the bathroom. But other than that, shift everything. If you normally take a shower first, go have breakfast first. If you have breakfast, take a shower. You know, if you read uh, the 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 paper or your computer, do something different. If you drive to work on the highway, drive on the side streets, break your rigidity. And I've got bunches of things like that, but there's a lot of things. I hope this helps. Yeah, for sure.
1: And then if, you know, for those listening in, um, there was like one piece of advice you know, you could give founders like something immediately that they should go and look in their lives and take action to start thinking different, thinking bigger and having that more exponential thinking today. What's like, what would be your piece of advice there? Something people could implement.
0: It's understanding variability, change a headline. You change your results, change a positioning. You change your results, change your risk reversal. You change your results, change your proof. You change your results, change the bonus you offer. You change your results. Change, um, change uh, the summarization. You change the results. We've tested 33 ways of greeting someone at the front door of a large furniture store, and had one of those ways triple results. People don't understand that that you can change very easy things that cost you nothing, and you can explode. And each of those changes results. So variability is very important. Very very important. Second is is work on the geometry of your business. The next is look at what the data tells you. The data speaks, but most people don't know it. There's correlations. I'll give you a simple example. Years ago, I created a $25,000 business overnight for somebody that was doing less than a million. He was in the, he he had a rare coin newsletter that was very, very modest, and he had a rare coin sales organization that was making him about $300,000. And he used to sell the newsletter for $300 and he would only uh, promote it if he got a profit when he spent the money. And I showed him that that made no sense because we analyzed, he never looked at it. Every time he got 100 new subscribers, he got 50 new new um, uh, new coin buyers who spent an average of 25,000 on the first sale and 50 on the second. And I said, you could give this newsletter away to the right people and you'd make a fortune on the back end. And that's what we did. We went to a bunch of regular newsletters and we got them to gift our newsletter to hundreds of thousands of people. And we gave them a small share of the of the economics. And my guy did twenty five million dollars from that without any risk whatsoever. Uh, I mean, figure out what you don't know you already know and then take advantage of it.
1: I love that. Yeah. Small changes can lead to big results is knowing which levers to, to pull, um, and, uh, and making a change. Well, um, Jay, this has been a lot of fun and I appreciate, uh, all your insights and you being so generous with your time. And, um, yeah, appreciate, uh, you and all your mentorship and, um, thanks a lot for being on the show.
0: I hope it helped and I hope that people get a value and hope that if nothing else, what I, what I'm all about, man, I don't want to be intellectual entertainment. I want people to go, that was so interesting. If, if that's all we get out of this interview, then I've wasted my opportunity cost and you've wasted putting me on your podcast. If they take some action and they try to experiment safely doing things differently. And by the way, you can take all kinds of small, safe tests. You don't have to go overboard and compromise or sell, you know, or, or, or shoot the ranch and then lose. And most people don't understand. Testing can, can reveal enormous breakthroughs for you. And I'm all about breakthroughs. Marketing break marketing makeovers, strategy restructures, business model remodels, distribution expansions, all those things. But people should just just not be content with where they are. I mean, I've I've created my career because I can't I can't fathom seeing people give a whole life and accept a fraction of a fraction, unknowingly, you don't even know what they're accepting, of what it could produce for them and what they could produce for others if they if they are true value creators in, in their market.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. If you're listening to this, it's all about, yeah, taking action with this and, and getting started today and reminding yourself, you know, done is better than perfect. So, you know, just get started where you are with what you got and, um, you know, take action to kind of get the momentum going to get the results you're looking for. So appreciate uh, your time here, Jay. It's been awesome.
0: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: A lot of people that I work with, a lot of the founders that I'm working with in FounderOS oftentimes come to me with this kind of self-limiting belief, thinking that there's a trade-off in life between, you know, you either sort of do what you love to do, but have to sacrifice getting paid for that, or you, you know, do what you can be paid for, but you're not going to enjoy it. and.